Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you're in for a real treat today, because today we have classical music star. Actually, I have no idea where I'm going with that, so let's just... Uh... Well, uh, you know what popped into my head when we started was when we used to do all of the uh, jump school calls. Remember jump school? Jump school, the phone calls. Um, remember when we used to do it was Bible Inner Circle? What's funny uh, of course, is I actually... I actually know what you're talking about when you yeah. say jump school, the phone calls <laughs> that, that I understood. <laughs> Even though it was called Bible inner circle, we, uh, in my mind, it was jump school, the phone call. Uh, but I remember whenever we would get on there, it would be all calls are now muted. All colors are muted. I think that's what it was like that. That woman's voice would come on and that, that always cracks me up. I'll what, hear what, that what in my head on those calls. So everyone understands it was all by the pastors, right? And I was teaching them, hey guys, here's how you can either have a side hustle or main hustle and, you know, teaching them how to make money on the side. You're teaching them all the theology and church planning and all the serious stuff. And we would do those calls. And so really you would start it out kind of like how we do the second half of the podcast. It was all serious. And then, you know, I'm just there for color commentary. And if they got any questions on the, the making money side, I'd answer them. And I totally remember this one week. You're like, uh, Pete, I can't be there. You got to do it. <laughs> and I was freaked out, dude. I'm like, you want me to talk to a bunch of pastors about serious stuff? I am the wrong guy for that. I don't know a thing about serious stuff. I think we talked. We, if I'm not mistaken, I think I was like, "Hey, Pete, talk to him about like church marketing, like the do's and don'ts, and you know, like I think I I tried to like hook you up. You know, it was funny. It was kind of like with Chris Langham when I tricked him into taking over Refuge Long Beach. Hey, just just come serve with me, see if you like it. And then I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Sucker. Oh. I don't know. I don't remember what the topic was. I just remember I was so freaked out. I like <laughs> mute everyone the second I got on. I'm like, no one can talk to me. I'm muting everybody. You know, it, it's funny because I think that that's one of the big secrets about ministry is that you're always freaked out about it. I have never, ever gotten to a place where I can just waltz into the pulpit like, ah, you know, I'm just going to be here, talk about the Bible. Oh, you know, hey, everybody, like I am always, you know, I don't have IBS, but I do when I'm getting ready to preach, you know, I don't, I don't have a nervous condition, but I'm getting ready to preach, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tight, you know, I need God. And I actually think that that is a built-in mechanism. If you have that, where you're just like, I, I, I can't do this. That is a very good place to be. 
that it's always the church planner who shows up to any training that I'm doing with a bunch of hubris and sits back and leans back and has that uh, kind of affect of, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just kind of weighing everything you say, you know, I, uh, I don't know if I need this. I'm always thinking, oh, all right, well, you know, it's, I hope it's a good run because it's definitely going to be a short one for you. You know, um, you got this, huh? All right. So I don't know, man. I, I, the, my favorite church planners to meet right now are the COVID babies, you know, where they're like, uh, yeah, I planted during COVID. I love those guys because people that planted during COVID, man, it was like baptism by fire for them. And they got dropped in it big time and had to quickly need God. There are people that tapped out, but the people who did not tap out during that time, and I understand those who tapped out. Like, I totally get it. I was like, oh, thank God I didn't plant during that time. I was writing the textbook. And in November, I actually got COVID the end of December. In November, uh, I tapped out with my team and said, hey, it was just another family. Like, hey, I timing doesn't feel right. you know. And they said, yeah, we agree. Something doesn't feel right. And now in hindsight, you know, but I also knew I was doing the textbook. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, it just didn't feel right. And then I got this textbook and I know that's going to take me everything. But man, when I meet the guys who made it through, they are a special kind of animal. So they're my favorites right now. Hmm. Interesting, man. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, I we did a street training for New Breed um, a couple of weeks ago. So I think it was a week. Was it a week ago or a week? No, it was a week from last Friday. We did street training. We do this thing called Train Like Jesus, show how Jesus trained. And of course, Jesus trained on mission. So when you first come to a New Breed Train Like Jesus, first thing we do is we put you out on the street. <laughs> we make you do stuff, which always freaks people out. And we go, well, this is what's broken with our system. You know, you you don't ever get asked to do stuff. And of course, you remember Long Beach, right? Like, that's just, you're going to plant with me. You're going to do stuff, right? Um, I was reading this morning. Oh, excuse me. Uh, professional podcast, ladies and geez. I was reading this morning about um, where Jesus, I, I've missed this a million times, Pete, but early on, <clears throat> Jesus only has done a few things. Um, he meets John Andrew, you know, he spends the afternoon, he's getting to know him. He goes to wedding of Cana of Galilee. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Judea and they start baptizing and the gospel writer makes point, oh, Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone, right? Paul later says, I didn't, I baptized maybe one or two, but it's really interesting how there's this reluctance to baptize on the part of Paul and Jesus doesn't baptize. Jesus gets the disciples baptizing. And that's always to me, um, I, I'm looking right now to see what Jesus let the disciples do when. Like I'm trying to see like at what point did what point in his ministry did he have him feed the 5,000? So the miracle. At what point in the in the ministry are they healing? At what point? Because in the beginning, he's just getting them to baptize, but it's hands-on. And I suppose it's probably mission by business the same. Like, you want them to do stuff. You don't want them to keep reading stuff. You want them to, like, get busy. Okay, guys, even if it's just low reps, like, need you to go do this now. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I don't know. I never really thought about that. I, you know, it's been interesting because this last week, as you know, I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of different uh, church planners. I I love hearing about what they're doing. Like, I just, I love that, right? And um, one guy who we both know, we were talking a lot about this stuff that he does with guys in the military. And it really made me think, you know, this is the first time we haven't been at war in like two decades and you got all these guys who have gone through so much crap and they really they need a lot right they they need a lot they're dealing with a lot internally and then on top of that their whole skill set is no longer needed in the workplace right now and it's like that's a weird dynamic right i mean it's a weird it's a weird thing so i just i don't know i love hearing about 
what these guys do, how they connect, um, how they help people that, uh, you know, as we talked about in our tagline, you want to go where no one's going and do what no one's doing. There's not a lot of people doing this stuff, the the dirty stuff, right? Like, I mean, first of all, you got to be a special person for, I would say, guys who have been in the military in the trenches, right? I'm not talking about just in the military serving, you know, here in the States or something, but most of them have served overseas at this point because we were at war for so stinking long. Like there's, there's a lot of, I mean, and they're not going to just take it from anybody. Like you got to either be one of them or for some reason they're going to accept you for whatever reason that is. And I don't know what it is, right? It's different for, for every deal, but I don't know. It's just, uh, just one of those things that, you know, when I was listening and hearing the stories and stuff, I'm like, man, there's a lot of need right now. It's a lot. Of need. Yeah. Yeah. There really is, man. There really is. It's, but it's a time where everything's shifting. Um, I believe that um, it's one of those things for Newbury training. You know, I, I we've been looking for like financial partners, um, churches, uh, people that might just want to invest in us because our training, it's funny, man. Like our training was made for this time. Like, uh we're doing this thing right now where the first year like we're building what's called a you know uh back a house we call it like a farm system we're just training people to disciple and um gather small groups and um gather and scatter in many teams you know almost like micro church type of stuff <clears throat> but it's what Jesus did three and a half years so our our normal um our normal, uh, like our tagline is train like Jesus to plant like Paul. So we're trying to get people to just, you know, picture you're like a high school student or a college student. You're just gathering people like your, your, your friends up and going on mission. That's what I did in high school. We, my friends and I would like, we would literally book punk bands, like Christian punk bands and get them to come to our youth group. And then we hand make, I still sometimes will see these, like a buddy of mine would be like, dude, remember this flyer? Some flyer I drew up back in high school. And then, you know, uh, hey, we're going to be at Murdy Park and um, in Huntington Beach, and, you know, 200, 300, 400 kids show up. Um, the cops show up because the skinheads come up to wreck the show and start bringing swastikas and like that was youth group for us, right? And we would do these concerts almost, I think it was every week. Um, and we did that. I mean, we had Chris Lazat back. He played his very first show with us. We had Nobody Special. We had um, The Crucified. We had all these like 80s punk bands that were rad. And notice I said rad right then. It was fitting. But um Yeah. And then we'd be leading our friends to Christ and this kind of stuff. But like, it was all student led. We were doing almost everything. And I think that was kind of what Jesus was looking to do, right? He was, he was looking to really equip them so that they were doing stuff after he was gone. That was the mandate. And <clears throat> I feel like with new breed, that's kind of like our stuff is was built for COVID. It was built for the mission field. It was built for, um, it was built for the world we're at. Chatting with Alan Hirsch a few months ago, he said, "Yeah, I feel like last ten years of my ministry has been prophetic, and now you know it was like a prophetic phase. Now we're in the apostolic phase. It's time to do this stuff that's in these books. It's time to actually put it in practice. And I think COVID kind of forced us." to have to do this stuff. Like we, you can't just read the book now and think about it. Like it's sink or swim. You either got to do the stuff that is the hard stuff you don't want to do, or you're going to sink. That makes sense. But it's not our topic today. Um, but, you know, hey, here we go starting before Smack Talk. Yeah, I don't know that I have much Smack Talk. No, nor me, nor me. So let's go ahead. Um, it's, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to Yeah, I missed my cue. I'm looking. I'm looking up the scripture that I want to go through today. Um, the topic today 
is ministering when you're not okay. And I think, um, you know, you and I, back in the early days, man, we we did that, when is it time to quit? And remember, like, until we did the exorcism one, that was like our number one podcast for people. <laughs> now, I think- The exorcism one took over? Uh, the, it might've been our two biggest. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that about the exorcism one. Yeah. <laughs> one time, those were I our two remember, biggest. remember uh, hearing the story about it setting off everyone's uh, uh, filters on their computers and wives being notified. <laughs> Because we had to mark that one explicit. Oh, is that the the one about when it's time to quit or the exorcism? No, no, the exorcism one. Really? Yeah, and I still remember one of. uh, I I don't want to say who it is. You and I know who the person is. Like their wife gets notified that he was listening to something explicit. Oh no! Felt so bad because you're like, oh no, man. You know, because usually when those filters go off, it's for something totally different. (laughs) Yeah podcast on how to do an exorcism <clears throat> well my uh my morning throat is hitting me for some reason um <clears throat> but i want to i want to talk about um when you don't want to minister what do you do right now um obviously the this is another thing we we're talking about new breed training this is not a new breed commercial but um Here's the thing. We we do train in teams. And I I have argued on this podcast for years and years and years that if you're planting without a team, if you're doing the solo rock star thing, you're a nut. Because you need a team around you. You need to be able to take a break. You need to be able to relax. You need to be able to um, take a sabbatical if you need. You need to be able to rotate out, let others rotate in. So team leadership is a biblical thing, you know, emotional, emotionally healthy ministry was not invented by Pete Scazzaro. Um, and, you know, thank God for his work and Drew Hyun and some of the guys that are doing some great stuff with that out there. Um, but it wasn't invented by them. It's I, I feel this stuff was hardwired in. We just ignore it. Like so many things in the New Testament, we ignore what's already in there. Um and really, I, I would say a lot of my ministry has been just uncovering like Indiana Jones, you know, that scene where there's that big stone slab and <clears throat> they, um, the storm's gathering. And he's like, Indy, you know, the, 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 you know, is his name Sala. He's like, you know, they're afraid. And he's uncovering that slab and he blows the dust off of it. And then they lift it up and there's the snake pit and the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant down there. I feel all this stuff that we find that's super useful, it's there. It's just been hidden, right? It's been hidden under the dust that probably covers our Bibles because we don't read it. Um, so um, I don't know what the snakes are, Pete, when you go down there. Maybe it's just that time you you don't want to spend digging or looking or whatever. But, um, but you know, in <clears throat> in in Matthew 14, we get a glimpse of Jesus when he just needs to be alone. He just needs to go by himself. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't want to minister. Uh, and the problem is he's called to minister, but he's not okay in this chapter. Uh, let me, um, let me just read, um, in Matthew 14, it gives a backstory that John the Baptist telling Herod, hey, you can't have your brother Philip's wife. And um, that's where uh, Salome dances and says, give me the head of John the Baptist on the platter. And the king doesn't want to kill John the Baptist, but he has to. And so um, it says, verse 13, you know, the disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. In verse 13, it says, now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So, you know, here's the picture. John John the Baptist is beheaded. It's Jesus's cousin. It's his hype man. It's his front runner. 
um, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Um, back in chapter 12, Jesus gives this kind of almost, if you look back, you're like, man, that's almost like a eulogy of John, where he's like, if you can receive it, he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He is the Elijah to come. He's saying all this stuff about John as if he's dead and he's at his funeral. Um, but now John is dead. And I just, it's always touched me when it says, now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus isn't okay. I don't know how you guys react when you hear someone died, but Jesus is not all right. You know, he, he just needs to be alone. Um, it's affected him. It's, it's rocked him. Um, we know that Jesus, when Lazarus dies, he, he's affected. He weeps. He's angry, says he's angry when he says Lazarus come out. Like he's, he's sad. Like he, those are the, you know, there's five steps of grieving. They don't come in any particular order, but, um, they're elements. They're there. Jesus, we see two of them. Um, uh, Mary does the bargaining for him. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. You know, all the bargaining, all that stuff's there. But Jesus, despite himself, he gets out in a boat and it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So he gets a little bit of time to himself, but it's, it's clearly not enough because this chapter is filled with Jesus trying to get alone and get the rest of his time that he needs. Like, it's like ministry, right? You're hurting. You, you got to step back uh, for your own mental health, but then you, you know, uh, to use a very bad term for ministry, the show must go on, right? Sunday comes around once a week or, you know, your, your home study or your gathering or your micro church or whatever. It, it all, you know, it all comes the planet keeps taking that trip around the sun and, uh, that, that March never stops. So, um, verse 15, uh, after it says he went in compassion and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day's over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. And it, it's funny because it says that the disciples and other gospels, that they were hungry and tired. So they're cranky. They're grumpy. They're like, Lord, these people, you know, it's what um, Romaine from Calvary Chapel, the Jesus movement. There's a guy there, an ex-Marine um, named Romaine. He used to call them the ugly people. He's like, you know what the ugly people are, right? They're the people that they call you, you know, at 925 at night on a Friday. Oh, pastor, I don't think God loves me. He's like, those are the ugly people. You, you, you don't, you don't want to deal with them, right? They're all ugly at that point. You did all your compassion and mercy and love for them is gone at 925 on a Friday. You just want to switch off. So, um, the ugly people, that's how the disciples see him. But it says that Jesus has moved with compassion. Um, so Jesus says they don't need to go away. You give them some deed. So they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. He said, bring them here. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down. And then he actually has them feed the crowd. So he models this pushing through his own personal pain, sorrow, rejection, you know, whatever it is that he's dealing with. Um, And as he does that, he then has the disciples do it too. So he models it first, and then he goes ahead and has them, um, he has them do it. So, uh, so they, they, they're asked to do it. And then he gets in the boat, um, in verse 22, immediately made the disciples get in the boat, go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he tells everybody, go home now. I fed you, you know, go home. So he cares for their needs before his own. And then it says in verse 23, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves. And in the fourth night, he came to them walking on the sea. So, uh, or the fourth watch of the night. So he spends time, and one of the gospel writers says that he actually spends time alone, uh, that he goes up on a on a hill there and he prays while he sends them on. <clears throat> so here's yet another time 
of Jesus um, pushing off and trying to get uh, time alone. When they land on the other side, they come to Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized, they sent all around to the region and brought to him all who were sick, and as many as touch it were made well. <clears throat> so Jesus, he he does finally get this time. And then when he when he reaches the disciples on the boat, he walks across the water to get to him. He gets in the boat with him. Um, of course, uh, that's where he crashes and falls asleep. Um, but then, uh, so there's a lot that other gospel writers will put in here and fill in some of the details to give us a complete picture. Jesus is exhausted. Um, he's been through a lot. And then, uh, but then he gets out of the boat on the other side and there's just a whole another truckload of sick people. All right. Like, Oh, Jesus is here. We, we've heard about that guy, Jesus say, so bring everybody from the region. And he just goes back into the miracle factory setting and is just healing and ministering to others. But it, it kind of shows you in this chapter that there, there's always this dance that you're going to be do, doing as a minister uh, and church planner, especially because in a church plant, it's, you're front and center. Like you get a front row seat to everybody's needs and problems. You're not in a mega church. You don't hide behind staff. You don't have a, Oh, make a part, make a, make a, an appointment with the, with the counseling pastor, you know, um, or a counseling department. You, which if you're a mega church and you have that, Hey, kudos to you because <laughs> shepherding in a big church, it, it, like you're doing well, if you even have that. But Jesus here finally gets his time to himself, but then he's just pushed back out. So the the question is, you know, getting that time to yourself, taking a step back when you need to. Um, Jesus is doing this dance. It shows the tension. It shows the difficulty, but it also shows the need. So Pete, I know you're a karate man. You don't have feelings, but like when you hear that, what, what does that, what does that say to you? It says to me that God made me as Jesus was in that time when he just wanted to be left alone pretty much all the time. <laughs> that That's how yes. God designed Pete Mitchell. Leave me alone. Go on the boat ahead of me. I'll catch up <laughs> with you. Don't you worry about me. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, I relate to this. I mean, I like to be alone. I've often said that my my character, my temperament is uh, introverted, but my um, my gifting is not ex- uh, introverted. My gifting is extroverted, severely extroverted. Apostolics are there to create community. So you have this welcoming atmosphere. What happens when you don't feel welcome and you're like, no, I really want to put like, no solicitors on the door right now. I don't want the welcome mat out. I want that, you know, do not ring this doorbell on pain of death. That's what I feel right now. And it's funny, man, because I've actually been going through a season of this um, where I need to be alone um, more. And I'm in the middle of a church plant and I'm having to talk to the people around me right now and say, Hey, I don't know what this is but I'm feeling like I need to isolate a little bit more right now. Like I can't be around people all the time. That's not, it's not what I need to do. Now, the great thing is I have a team of extroverts around me, like serious extroverts, but I I was talking to you before this. I actually, I see a counselor uh, regularly and I chatted with him and I said, Hey, you know, um, this is what's going on. And he actually asked me, he said, is this a problem to be a flaw to be fixed? Or is it an opportunity, a season to be embraced? And after we chatted through that, I was like, you know, it's funny because I'm spending these times in prayer right now. Um, we've got a lot of things popping globally right now in Newbury, like never before. We're in 65 countries. We're gathering up what we call global catalysts. So we might be meeting with highly apostolic people and training them, and they're training 16 to 20 other people. And so it's super exciting for us because we're like, dude, you're the Paul in your region, man. Like, 
and we get to pour into them. Like this is this is what gets me up in the morning. Like I'm so fulfilled right now in ministry, more than I, I think I've ever been in my life. Well, right now, my plea to God is don't let me die before we finish this training. Like this is amazing. Because um, I'm 50. I might die tomorrow. You know, that's what happens when you turn 50. <laughs> Start having those conversations. Lord, not tonight. You know, when I was young and I, I didn't know Jesus, I was like, don't come back tonight. You know, went to bed with a Bible and a, and a cross in my, in my hand. Now I'm like, don't let me die tonight. You know, uh, got more work to do. But, um, but man, I'm telling you, you know, it's funny because I, I actually am sensing like Jesus in this passage. I need to pray. I'm just, I'm feeling drawn deeper and deeper into these times of prayer and solitude because the amount of work that I'm getting done right now is insane. But I don't have time to be. You, you, know. know, you, you mentioned something that I gotta, I gotta make a comment on, and I hope this isn't too far of a, a diversion from the topic. But it, it, it really struck me because, obviously, as I've already said on this episode, I'm a massive introvert, massive introvert. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, me being left alone, I'm like sweet, dude. I love it. I don't need to be around people. I don't actually want to be around people, which is kind of ironic. Because I go into sales, right? And the whole point of sales is you have to go talk to people. And almost in a very weird way, it's almost like mission in that I have to force myself to be uncomfortable, to do things I wouldn't normally do. But in business, I look at it and I go, yeah, but that's because of where I want to go. I realize I got to do things that are uncomfortable for me because of where I want to go. I can't get there any other way. There's, there's no other way than I got to go talk to people. Like, that's just the deal. I got to go do it. And um, I remember I was doing this talk at this group, really high-end group, cost 25 grand a year to be in it. And there's a couple hundred people in there. And I got 10 minutes that I got to share an idea. And so this guy who's in the group, he was coaching me on how to present a really effective 10 minutes, like how to make every line land. And, you know, cause you only got 10 minutes. And so part of my, my, the thing that I was talking about, I was explaining this, this one hack, if you will, that I, I figured out in business that can make you a lot of money. And part of that story is I needed people to understand where I was coming from. The fact that I'm a massive introvert and I had to figure out hacks to get around the fact that I don't want to talk to people. I don't, I don't want to actually meet people. And I didn't bring this up, but even being in that group was like nails on a chalkboard to me. Cause I'm like, I don't know any of you. And now I've got to actually meet you and talk to you. And I'm very uncomfortable. One, cause I'm looking at you all going, I know you'd all make seven figures. And I'm feeling like just the smallest peon in the group. Right. And so I remember the guy that was coaching me after we were done with the whole meeting and stuff he he comes up to me and he's like you know I was just thinking about what you said about you know being an introvert and I kid you not dude this is what he says to me he goes I just want you to know it, it doesn't have to be that way you can fix that and I remember thinking in my head dude there's nothing wrong with that that's just the way I am like you're an extrovert so you see being an introvert as a flaw and honestly, I see being an extrovert as a flaw. Like, can't you leave the rest of us alone? Like, you got to keep bugging us. And but, you know, it's funny because often content creators are, um, they are often a an introvert um, if they're going to produce serious amounts of content. And, and I'm not talking like a manager. Managers you might be like, oh, well, no, extroverts, you know, like they, usually they're managers. Right. Um, it, it's it's funny because my wife is an extrovert, but she's a writer. So she has a gifting that complements her temper or you know, contradicts her temperament from the other side of the fence. So if I'm a an introvert with an apostolic gifting, my gifting is extroverted. She's a writer, but she's an extrovert. So she and you know who else was like this was uh Hemingway. Hemingway he would go stand at his typewriter because he stood and he would type away and he set the clock like at noon or 11 in the morning, whatever time it was. He, I think he would, I think it was 8 a.m. to 11 and he would type away or something like that. And then 
he would um, eat lunch and swim or swim and eat lunch. I don't remember that. He had a specific order every day and other people would join him in the pool. Then he'd have like cocktail, a nap, cocktails, and then a party like every night. And that's how he kept going was he had to, he could isolate himself to get the work done. And I think he usually wrote about 500 words during those three hours, but he would wordsmith and hone and, you know, craft his sentences perfectly um, and have 500 high quality, you know, words. And who knows? I mean, it's amazing to hear different people's processes, very unique to him. But, but again, you know, an extrovert who was one of the greatest writers that ever lived. So you, you look at that and you think, man, sometimes you just got to push through. And I think that's in this passage, right? There's a, there's a, there's a way to push through. Um, when you don't feel like doing something, which Jesus gets the disciples to do, but also that can be dangerous if that's the only thing we get from this. Just push through when you're falling to bits. Jesus models both. There's a balance here. Yes, I do have to do things, but one of those things I have to do is take care of myself and get that alone time. So I have to minister. That can't, I can't switch that on and off like a light switch, but I've also got to make sure that I minister too, right? Um, there's uh, the the portion of Paul's second missionary journey, which is the end part of it, where he spends 18 months in Corinth. And we don't know how long. It's probably closer to six months, according to scholars, that um, he spent just tent making because he had been hassled and harried from town to town by the circumcision group. And he kept depositing his fellow workers there like um, Timothy and Sylvanus and um, some of the others. And he deposits them behind him. But then he just goes into business with Priscilla and Aquila and makes tents. But he's burnt out. Like he's, he tells the Corinthians later what was up with him. It was his dark night of the soul. He was burnt the heck out. And I remember writing church plantology and I remember weeping writing that passage um, because I so connected with Paul at times where I was just, oh, by the way, Robert and the other guy, I can I remember his name um, on the Wednesday uh, podcast? Yeah. They're doing a series Robert of burnout. Robert and Tim. Oh, see, you look at you, an introvert, and you remembered someone's name. I'm proud of you. See, baby steps, baby steps. I'll still never meet him because that would be too much. Yeah. Well, you know, you remember what about Bob? Baby steps, baby steps. Bill Dude, Murray. That was when actually he's... a great movie. Now fantastic. Now we've got something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic movie. That that's a, we, we quote that one often in, uh, in the Jones house. Is this some radical new kind of death therapy? Uh, <laughs> and he's tied to the tree. Yeah. I remember it. What about Bob? If you've not seen that younger generation, because I'm working with young people. So I feel old at 50 because most of the time I have to uh, explain what I send to Brooks, who's my millennial uh, content director. So I sent him this thing yesterday. Did I send that to you with Chunk? And, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so I was so going to post that in the group you left. Oh, it's yeah. Really yeah. It's got, um, it's got uh, Chunk saying to sloth from the goonies um i i you're gonna come live with me now everything's gonna be all right and then uh sloth is like and he's like yeah because i love you that's why and it and it says jesus over chunk and me the worst of sinners you know and uh so i sent it to everybody uh thank you brandon brooks uh where i got that from but i sent it to uh brooks hammond i had to i had to explain it I go, this is called the Goonies. He didn't know he what the Goonies know. was? I'm sure he did it. Uh, he's listening right now. So maybe he's laughing at us because he's like, oh, I do know the Goonies. But it's hit or miss with him. He had never seen Blade Runner, my friend. The original? Yeah. Well, as bad as it was, well, it wasn't a great movie, but it was better than the second one. Wait, what did you just say? Oh. Come on, dude. The second what? one was horrible. If you were to ask Peyton Jones... What his favorite movie of all time was? It'd be Star Wars, right? Well, of course, but you you know how it works in 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 the real world. You say, oh, not counting Star Wars, 
right? You have to say that when you say, what's your favorite movie? Because how boring. You ask everyone, they're all going to say Star Wars, right? So you have to say, besides Star Wars, right? And and that's the closest movie to Star Wars you can get outside of Star Wars. Because it got Harrison Ford, and it's in space. It was good. I didn't think it was, like, phenomenal, but it was good. Yeah. I liked it. I enjoyed now, it. Now, Rutger Hauer would have made an amazing Sith. Like, you could have made that dude, like, a Sith, big time. Like, if you're looking for another villain, Rutger Hauer, man. Anyways, all that to say, um, I don't remember where I was going with that. But but Jesus, back to the topic, Jesus models both pushing through at times, which you need to do, and retreating and getting that alone time and caring for your own soul. So uh, Karen for your own soul. See what I did there? Being a Karen. About you know, uh, well, that I, I I'm picking it up now. Yeah, I, I didn't actually mean that. It just sounded that way. But yeah, so uh, you know, here's here's the thing, um, guys. Make sure you have a team. Make sure if you need to that you get therapy. Now Jesus talked to the Father. <laughs> you can do that. But if you need a therapist to someone to talk through, or you need a team, or you need people you can hand off to, you know, that's what Paul did. Paul, what what I was saying about Paul and Corinth is Paul actually hands off to his team there um, because he needs to be alone. He just needs to hide. He needs to lick his wounds. If he comes out and does more public ministry, his circumcision group will come and find him. And of course, during that time where he's hiding out, it becomes some of the most productive time he's ever had because he builds a tent-making empire, which basically just dominates the Mediterranean for the rest of the uh, the rest of his ministry, really, third missionary journey and beyond. So uh, that's kind of interesting stuff, but not something we have time to get into. We're out of time. Well, one of the things that I'll, I'll just share as an idea, um, th- th- this is not something that I have followed, but it's actually come up recently. And that is, uh, I remember talking with uh, a sales mentor of mine who runs a, a sales training company and um, very, very good, big sales training company. And he would say, hey, every month I take, you know, at least one weekend where I'm getting away from everything. And I don't know if he's an introvert or an extrovert. I mean, I would say he's an extrovert just because I think everyone is except for me. <laughs> but... but um, but he would say, you know, you, when you take that time, you come back and you come back so much stronger because you had that time to just kind of decompress and not worry about work, not worry about, you know, the crap that you've been working on. And the reason why it came up for me recently is I was listening. I don't remember who it was. It could have been a freaking YouTube video for all I know, but I remember the concept. And I was like, Ooh, I kind of like that concept. And the concept was this dude every other month takes uh, a trip and does something he wouldn't normally do. And he's got a family, so he takes the family. And they go and they do something that they wouldn't normally do. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be expensive and flying to Turkey or you know whatever, right? It's just we're going to do something we wouldn't normally do. And he's like, if you think about that, you do that six times a year. And you live to be 80. And if you did it every year, I can't remember what the number was, but it was like this absurd amount of life experiences that you'd had, that you had done, that you wouldn't normally have done. I just really liked that concept, that idea of just doing stuff. And part of the reason that I really was drawn to that is because of how I am in business. Like I will just hunker down and keep going and keep going and keep going. And I know I need to decompress, even from work, right? Even as an introvert, I need to like just step away and take some time and not do work. And normally when Jamie and I and the family, we go on vacation, I become just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't do anything. I mean, I'll usually take a computer just because if an emergency comes up, I can deal with it. But for the most part, I don't work. Like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm there to enjoy life. I'm there to be in the pool all day, every day. Uh, Jamie and I, for years, we'd win these uh, these uh, trips to different locations for one of the insurance companies that I sold for. You know, they took us to Jamaica and Hawaii and Mexico, and it'd be these really extravagant trips. And um, basically, we would wake up in the morning, go get breakfast, 
go back to the room, change into our swimsuits, go to the pool, stay in the pool all day until night, and then go back over to the room. Like that was, that was our deal. That's just what we did. And they were great, right? Because you just decompressed. So one of the things that I would throw in there, if you're going through these times, I would also encourage you to look at what is your time off schedule like? And I don't mean just like the weekend, but I mean like, when can you get away from it all and just take some time? And maybe that means going somewhere and doing something. Maybe that's just not financially available, but you can, you know, somehow, you know, they call it the staycation, right? Is there something that you can do where you're just allowing yourself the opportunity to decompress? And um, for like myself, because I work at home, it usually means I want to leave my house, right? For me to decompress, I, I don't want to be here because this is where I work. This is, yeah. this is my job. Yeah. So no, it's like, it's funny. Uh, like I, I see this, like, I feel like with you, you work hard and you play hard. Like when I played harder losing, before I moved to Texas. Did you really? Yeah. I, I have hardly gone shooting at all here. Like I think three times in a year. Is that because there's not AC in the shooting range? Oh no, there's AC. You, oh, there, look in Texas, you go from your air, air conditioned house to your air conditioned car, to your air conditioned building. And you spend as little time running from the car to the building. As <laughs> yeah, uh, that's cool. I, I mean, I know the South really well. I know Alabama. I know, you know, it's, it, I love the South though. Like there's something even about that. that's just feels good. Uh, Orlando, not a fan. Sorry, sorry, Vinny, the, the, just not a big fan, but um what what I will say is anyone who knows you in your Facebook knows that you play hard. Um, you know, you've uh you've always been good with your time with your family, right? Like you love your family, you love that time. And one of one of the guys that I often pay attention to, and I, I actually really admire him, um, is Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, mm. you know, the social media guy, that's what he does. It, he goes, 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 goes. And people will say, you know, what, what is it that you, how do you get time with your family? How do you do this? And Gary Vaynerchuk will tell you, he'll be like, look guys, um, I take six weeks off a year vacation. And he's like, and let me say to you, when I'm off, I am off, off. I do nothing during those times and I am all in with my family. The other thing he does, and I learned a ton from him on this because I don't go as hard as he goes. I go hard, but I don't go as hard as he goes um, because, you know, like I'll make one of my um, commitments is I learned from Steve Jobs. It's funny. I didn't learn most of my family health things from ministry people. That should be very telling. I learned the the patterns of my life, like this rule I got from Steve Jobs. I read the Walter Isaacson biography and he had two rules. Uh, one was dinner every night with family, no matter what. Number two, um, no devices in any meal, right? No phones, no, none of that at the table. So we have those rules and it, it is amazing. Um, the other one is, uh, I also don't travel a bunch traveling jacks me up when I travel with my family, it jacks me up. Um, I cannot, like, I feel, I feel like, uh, Austin Powers, I've lost my mojo. Um, when I get out of my routine, routines are huge to me. That's why I always joke about early onset OCD because my routines, I might as well be autistic. Because you take me out of my routines, I'm I'm a basket case. Um, and then uh, the and and please don't write in and tell us that's mean to autistic. I used to work with autistic people, so that's a ready illustration for me because I used to train teams how to take care of autistic. What was the email people. address that used to tell people to email us at? Because it went straight to track. Pete at churchplannermagazine.com and it went straight to, it to your delete. To your, send it your there because right in the trash. I don't even. I just it. love that. I love that you actually set up an email to go straight to your trash on your computer. So um, for complaints, and then. Um, the other the other part was uh uh the other thing Gary does every Sunday uh when it's football season he goes to the football game 
I think he was the Jets. It's New York Jets. He, his goal is to buy the Jets one day. So he goes there and he says, everybody who knows me knows do not call during this time. And I have started, I had a chat with Andrew and I said, hey, uh, everything is just really um, up in the air and this and that. And, um, you know, on the weekends. This, and I go, is there like a window of time that I can have for, you know, up until a set time, like, I think it's 10 a.m. on Saturdays is what we do. And um, if I want to get up at five, I'll have five hours to do whatever I want. Um, and that's my hobby time. That's my Peyton Jones. Alone. I can do whatever in the heck I want during that time. And it's just respected. It's sacred. And I tell you what, man, I look forward to I would to just like time. to point out that 5 a.m. your time is 7 a.m. my time. And I can meet you on a Saturday morning for fortnight <laughs> at 7 a.m. I can do that's it. so rad. That's so rad. Well, you know, it's funny because you have that Sunday afternoon, right? Same time as Gary Vaynerchuk. And so people that go hard like that, um, they have those regular rhythms. It's funny because it actually tells us that Jesus had a regular rhythm. Like it says, then he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, as was his custom. Not that he went on a mountainside, go pick a mountain, but it was, it was his custom to regularly go up. And it says before, it was light uh, while it was still dark, as was his custom. So Jesus is getting that time in with the Father when and as he, you know, when he can, which he knows, hey, while other people are sleeping, this is when I got to do this because it's going to be game on when everyone wakes up and they find out where I am again. Um, so it's just, it's really interesting to, um, to, uh, to think that through and, you know, make sure guys, if that's what you need, Make sure you get that. You take that. You create a Maybe it's a game night with friends. I know Brooks, uh, that's one thing he has. He's going hard all day, and then he disciples a bunch of people. So uh, anyways, this is all good stuff, man. Just, you know, know thyself is is the, the rule about this and do what you need to do. So speaking of doing what you need to do, Pete. Uh, are you, you want me to give the, the sign off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.